I think we can all agree that analytics is a must, no question there. And not only do we need this for every quarterly business review, we have to have metrics at our fingertips daily. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Paris Garcia. Today, I'm super excited to talk to Teresa Elliott on Crawl, Walk, Run, a journey towards ABN. Teresa Elliott is the Senior Director of Marketing, Industry, and iTwin Platform at Bentley System. She loves civil infrastructure with everything from planning and design to GIS and asset performance solutions for utilities and transportation. She loves storytelling and working with users, industry, analysts, and the media on digital transformation topics in AEC, helping to improve understanding value of digital advancement and digital twins in support for reliable, resilient, and sustainable infrastructure. She has authored and co-authored several articles, and she is currently an executive MBA student at Autumn University. Teresa, I'm really excited to talk to you today, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So can you tell our listeners about the process people go through as storytellers to create compelling narratives? Sure. There's nothing better than crafting a user story with interviews and creating a storyboard with that user about what the problem that they've solved. I've traveled to some really fun places to interview our users and help them bring to life the stories that they want to tell, like the city of Helsinki, Finland, uh, the city of Porto, Portugal. And you can't talk going to a wastewater plant in Tallahassee, Florida, or even a small public utility in uh, Kansas City, Kansas. And really, each is a great, compelling story, no matter the location, no matter the size of the project, because, because there are other users out there that want to know that they are not alone in their pains and the desires to make changes or even to innovate. So it's great when they can hear someone else they can relate to. And these people are excited to tell their story of their transformation journey. But those are really easy stories to tell, by the way. They're the fun ones. They're so easy. But we also have storytelling that we have to tell as marketers about our solutions. And it's not about a single user story. And often that can be a bit more difficult. Uh, I have come into some teams where they were struggling to simplify. I'm sure you have experienced this as well, where too many personas, too many things that they want to make the the key point. There's no clear value proposition. And they're trying to write messaging and putting words on paper and wordsmithing by groupthink. And when that's happening, I try to get them to step away from that keyboard and start to think of it from a big picture perspective, and I call it building the foundation before the story. So identifying the key persona, and often they can they will find in that exploration that you know certain persona have similar problems or, or wishes for what they wish they could do, you know, to improve, and you can group them together. And so once we get to that shorter list of groupings of persona, we start to get an idea of the narrative we need to build. Then we work through uh, an ideation session, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this a lot uh, in the last couple of years. We're almost all remote, right? We're virtual. So finding those whiteboarding environments online like Miro or Murally, or I'm sure there's a lot of other ones, they help us work through those thoughts. And 
allow everyone to ideate and put their thoughts about what the pains or the gains of those key persona groups are. And then we do a thing called affinity clustering. And I'm stealing that from design thinking. So if you've ever heard anybody talk about design thinking, affinity clustering is a common activity in that you narrow down to these groupings of the most important things. But then I think another element of storytelling that's part of your foundation is formulating a clear value proposition. And I don't know if you have noticed this, but I found sometimes people kind of mix value prop with messaging, but value prop is really the facts before the messaging. What are the facts that need to come out in the narrative you're going to build? So we work on that value proposition statement before we write the story or write the messaging. And it's really, you know, you know, who's for this persona, who does a certain job, who has these types of pains or these desires for gains. And then a single statement about how our solution solves that pain or provides that gain. And if it's a competitive positioning, obviously in that internal competitive positioning statement, we'll say, unlike X competitor who provides this part of a solution, but ours goes beyond that. So once we've got the facts to write the story, that's all of the foundation. We have the persona, we have the the, the most important pains and gains, the, the facts of what we really want to com- convey, and then we turn that into a narrative. This is the fun part for me. I get really excited about narratives. Uh, we've used Day in the life storytelling. A lot of software developers actually use day in the life now too to build their stories for product development. We in marketing have used hero storytelling. And this to me is so much fun. It's where the prospect is the hero, not us. Historically, we wrote marketing like our companies were the heroes. We're not the hero. Our users are the heroes. We're just the guide to help them to find their way to that solution we want them to get to. So the goal is to replace, you know, that more traditional formal writing sounds like a brochure and all about us to more about the transformation story of that person. They're thinking and feeling those pains and gains and uh, tapping into the emotion that becomes relatable to the audience that's listening or reading the story. And they experience the transformation along with that hero. That's fun storytelling to me. I could probably spend hours just talking about all the different styles of storytelling. Certainly, we've used other kinds like point of view style, which is all about really hammering on the dissatisfaction layering. We try to incorporate speak like a person or slap into everything that we write. And, you know, you talking to you, talking directly to the user as opposed to about them. And it's funny, we sometimes write about them, but we still do it in a way that's accessible and uh, taps into emotion. I always use this example when I'm explaining to the team, if you'll allow me to carry on and and give you this example. Meet Cassie. She leads a construction project that has had its share of problems. Deliveries are never on schedule. She can never keep up with where everyone is on the job site. And she spends countless hours in the construction trailer trying to organize her paperwork so that they can at least try to start each day on the same page. Her friend Bob brags about his construction site running smoothly and how everyone is in the know at all times. Deliveries arrive when they should, and he's always home for dinner. She knows that there must be a better way. She can do it like Bob. She discovers, then you enter the product name, and then you tell the story of your product. And people are more compelled 
to engage with a story like that, that they can see themselves in that story. So it's just an example of the, the way we actually train people internally like that. And then when we see them produce content, you'll see that they have started to tell the stories that way. I love marketers that are so good at storytelling because I think that sellers have to be perfecting that craft as well. Right. Question two, how was your experience deploying ABM and what were some of the challenges that you came across? Well, I will say that I love the title of this session because I feel like we're probably moving from the crawl in this space, but I'm excited to talk about where we are today and maybe where you know we would be heading in the future. So some of the challenges, first was learning what the technology that we purchased could do. And it certainly showed us a different way to think about how content can be presented, what types of content work. It also showed us a new way to communicate. And most importantly, it allows us to measure that engagement and show results to our user success team and even our account managers uh, in closer to real time, if not in real time. And it gives them a better way to directly engage specific accounts. Second, we narrowed to a pilot while we were figuring it all out. And our first focus was on ensuring that our user success teams had a way to get specific information in front of existing users and make their experience as good as it could possibly be. And what they did was provided training, updates on software, announcing virtual events or webinars that are tailored to those existing users. But so far, we were limited in terms of introduction of newer adjacent applications that could benefit them as well. So the first challenge that we had there was, okay, we need to learn how how this works and, and implement it accordingly. We need to find the right audience to work with first, which we did, which was the user existing user audience. But the second challenge that came along was, oh gosh, we really haven't thought about how we engage existing users when we have newer adjacent technology. So that was one is one of the areas that we're starting to tackle now. Can you share some of the learnings with our listeners? So as I said, we uh, haven't evolved as much in making ABM activities as useful to our account managers as it is for user success. So our challenges come in scaling ABM to some of our other marketing efforts. You know, we're automated, obviously, all the way around in other areas of marketing. Uh, we focus on paid campaigns. We do lead nurtures. But where our challenges is that we're going to talk to that same existing user audience. We'd rather be talking to them from an ABM perspective as opposed to somehow capturing them inside of a nurture and talking to them there as well as talking to them somewhere else. So that's a, a challenge that we have to overcome. And while we deployed ABM software for solving some specific problems related to existing users, we now have to think about okay, we still have prospecting, we still have upsell or cross-sell, for instance, and we don't want to be, you know, 50 voices to the same user. How do we consolidate that now? And so that's the place we're in now. We're starting to ask the next set of questions. How can I introduce the new technology in a way that feels less intrusive? Uh, Isn't just a bunch of emails or inefficient paid spin to an existing user. So we want to provide something very targeted, directly to the audience that the account manager would care to speak to them about, a way that would allow engagement to happen between that account manager and those key persona within that organization, but also a way for us to measure that engagement, 
put the right content at their fingertips based on what's important to them. And then obviously we want to scale all of that to our prospects in every industry and in multiple countries. Analytics have come to play a huge role in marketing over the last few years. According to you, how important has measurement become for marketers and where do you see this trend heading? I think we can all agree that analytics is a must, no question there. And not only do we need this for every quarterly business review, we have to have metrics at our fingertips daily to make better decisions on the performance of every piece of content that we're using in every campaign, every type of campaign. Is that page performing? Did we get form submits? Are we getting registrants for that event? Are we uh, converting campaign leads to opportunities? Are we closing deals based on those things? Are we performing to industry benchmarks? All of those questions we ask daily, not just at the quarterly business review. And the only way to know how to improve is to measure. Each new automated tool we put in place can provide measurement. And that's amazing because, you know, if you go back a few years, that wasn't the case. But those amazing automated tools still often work in silos. So we create dashboards that becomes a little bit easier, but then we end up with too many dashboards like BI dashboards or ClickSense or whatever the dashboard. And then we're still left to try to interpret mismatched results or does this dashboard have all of the right metrics to make the right decisions? And what we find is that we're often swimming in data, but still struggling for insights. And I think that's probably a common challenge that other people listening to this podcast will probably be nodding their heads about right now saying, yes, exactly. Yes, now we have data. We have metrics. This is great. But we still have this struggle to have a holistic view, uh, have interpretation of that data. And often that requires someone with an analytics background to kind of help us in that space. And that's really where we're shifting our focus now is to ensure that what we're getting from a, from a measurement perspective is helping us to make better decisions. I don't think we're, we're not trying to convince anyone anymore that measuring is important. We just have to focus on the quality and consistency of what we're measuring. And I think that's a trend that we're all seeing as we move forward. Another thing that I think is really, really important is an organization like Bentley, uh, any organization of any size, you have a separate IT organization and you have to forge a really strong partnership with that organization. Uh, you need to align in the overall digital strategy, right? You're, you're not a silo. You have to think about influencing what marketing needs into that overall digital strategy. And, uh, we have to deliver as a marketer, we're a business within the organization and we know our business. IT knows IT. So we have to write the business case and the requirements for the systems we need, the analytics that we need. We have to be the one that is engaging with them and ensuring that the right reporting is provided to us or the right reporting tools, I should say, are provided to us so that we can report the right things to our stakeholders. How are you and your organization adapting to the current economic downturn? There's always an ebb and flow within marketing, going big in some programs and cutting back in others and trying to keep the lights on, finding ways to be more efficient, yet still telling the story and getting our technology in front of our prospects. And what I find interesting coming out of the pandemic is there was a lot of fatigue that we noticed in some of our digital activities, more specifically around virtual events, webinars, 
it was it was almost like, oh gosh, you got to get on another Zoom or a Teams call or go to yet one more big virtual event. And as we started kind of coming out on the other side of this, we saw this shift back toward live events, right? A physical event. And uh, I know you're talking about economic downturn, but I really felt like this was important because uh, while we're seeing that shift, I think it's very important to always be thinking about your marketing mix and providing the right set of activities to our users in the smartest and most efficient way, right? So while we did see that shift back toward physical events, we're still connecting the virtual side of things. We still want to have them engaging with us digitally, even after that initial conversation happens at that physical event. So it's more about optimizing the whole program and understanding that things like physical events and other activities will work their way into our strategy for some of our programs and ensuring that we don't also keep those things in silos. They can all work together, connected, and ensure that that user experience, that journey for that buyer is a cohesive one. And so I don't know if I really answered your question about economic downturn, but I think of it in terms of always thinking about the most efficient and smartest way to do things. And then the other thing I would say really is don't be afraid of failure. Failing is where learning exists. And if you fail quickly, something's not working, you can change that and try something that does work. And that works for ensuring that you're still being efficient and you know responding to the fact that maybe budgets are smaller or we need to be a little bit more nimble, but we can still fail. We shouldn't be afraid to try something and fail. I agree. And I like that. Is there a book, blog, newsletter, website, or video that you would recommend for our listeners? I'll have to pair my list back because I could talk for a long time about this as well. I love to read. Uh, I love to listen to podcasts. And I am because I am currently an MBA student at Auburn, I'm reading lots of articles and newsletters. So I'll try to give you a very short list here. I'm going in the Wayback Machine for my first one. And that's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Someone handed this to me. I won't even say how long ago, but uh, a sales manager walked into my office one day and said, I really think you need to read this book. I think you're really going to like it. I found it at a yard sale. Every time I find one, I give it to somebody new. I'm gifting you this book. It was like a life-changing moment. I read the book, fell in love with it. And all of the training associated to seven habits that have come over the years, I think his son actually runs all the training stuff now. I highly recommend it to anyone. I think it's transformative in the way you think and the way you operate internally in your organization, no matter the group inside your organization that you exist. And when I say I think it's for leaders, I think everybody's a leader, not just a manager. So I think it's if you want to develop leadership skills, that's a great foundation. And I'll also say this, I have one more book that I would call out. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown. She's actually a shame researcher, but she has so many valuable insights that carry over into business. And her book on gifts of imperfection was my discovery of her. And of course, now I've gobbled up everything that she's done. And uh, I would highly recommend reading her books, maybe starting with gifts of imperfection. She actually has a 
a course that she goes through on her podcast, which she's also listed in my podcast list, by the way, uh, called Unlocking Us and Daring Greatly. And it's all about leadership and personal growth and very relevant for businesses. Um, Also, I mentioned that I'm reading lots of articles and newsletters. Harvard Business Review is actually in my list right now, probably mostly because I am in school again, but I think all of these topics are very relevant to our workaday world. And I think you'd be amazed how changes in supply chain is reshaping our world and, and industries that you wouldn't even think are going to be reshaped by the supply chain. So I highly recommend it. And then podcasts, I could name a bunch that are not business related. I listen to podcasts constantly when I'm out walking and certainly Design thinking is a big thing for me. I love it. There's a Design Thinking 101 podcast that if you don't know about design thinking, it's not just for developers. I think marketers can benefit greatly from having a that type of design thinking mentality. Uh, also, uh, Phil Agnew's Nudge on marketing psychology. I was actually, I forgot, I was going to talk about Nudge marketing. I think it's really a big next thing. We've been doing it for years, but... Phil gave a name to it, or he's uh, focusing on it, even if he didn't originate the name to it. But I think nudging in marketing is something we do, whether we realize it or not. And we have to be thinking about our messaging in ways that nudge people onto the next thing based on that audience and what their psychographics are. And then Daring Greatly and Unlocking Us, I mentioned that already by uh, Brene Brown, highly recommended. And then Gosh, everything Harvard Business Review is also in podcasts. So if you're not a if you're not a reader, the podcasts are really good bite-sized pieces to listen to, and you can really feel way more informed, at least I do, when I'm listening to that. And then certainly I'll leave off all my other fun podcasts, but I I have a bunch. I love that. Nudge marketing. I'm gonna look into it after this. Um, some good people. Could you share some names of three inspirational people in the B2B space that you would recommend that we bring on the show? You know, when I looked at this question, I really struggled thinking, oh, gosh, do I define these people in the B2B space? Maybe, maybe not. Right. But I think they're so inspirational for the B2B space uh, that two I mentioned already, uh, Brene Brown and Phil Agnew. And I think in the marketing space specifically, Phil Agnew uh, is a podcaster and his focus on uh, that nudging in the marketing space to create that curiosity that gets people moving through that journey with you would be a I think it'd be a great speaker. I would love to bring them to our conferences, frankly. So uh, those are the two that I think I would list. So you mentioned nudge marketing. Do you mind elaborating on what that is? Yes, this is so new and exciting to me. It's, it was like an aha moment for me when I was listening to that uh, Flag News Nudge podcast. One thing that is valuable that we've already been doing is we think about the series of content and the stories that we're telling someone along that buyer journey. And there's there's pieces or breadcrumbs that you're providing them along the way to get them ultimately to the meal. And so that's what nudging is all about. It's about creating that curiosity gap on the way through that engagement to get them ultimately to trial or buy your software or whatever. So each little piece of the story focuses on what you want that prospect to consume right then, what action you want them to take, and then on to the next piece of the story. And each time you add to the story, you're just educating them just a little bit more, getting them excited 
just a little bit more to the point that that curiosity is going to compel them to keep clicking to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Obviously, we all want that to happen. And, you know, Phil, I have to give them credit, right, uh, have created this nudging podcast that's all about that. So really interesting. And you should check that out. And I would I would like to mention one other thing that I talked about design thinking and uh, the way to craft that storytelling. Another thing that we've discovered in our storytelling is visual storytelling. Uh, that, along with the words, can be very helpful. And we've done a lot of visual storytelling at Bentley. It really does create this real powerhouse of storytellers because this, the visual itself can tell pieces of your story. It doesn't all have to be in words. So I think together, all of those things I talked about work to create a really compelling storytelling. Perfect. And then how can people get in touch with you after the podcast? You can find me on LinkedIn uh, and that link will be provided in the bio. Perfect. So that's all we really had for today. I really enjoyed having you on the podcast and thanks for being on our show. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.